Welcome to Beer and Gear with Felix and Wes. Brought to you by Highway Marketing. Hey folks, this is our first live on location Beer and Gear that we did with Zach Crisp from Epicenter Productions. So this one actually went so well we decided to do a two-parter. So here's part one of our interview with Zach Crisp. So, um... So Zach, we're we're doing a, our first live beer and gear. Um, so we'll see how this goes. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of how you got into this industry and kind of where you went and why you ended up where you are. Um, so how did you get started? Like, what was what was the the beginning point for this? It's an easy story. A lot of bad decisions, right? <laughs> that's how that, you end up. That's in how we industry. all got here, right? <laughs> okay, fair point. So I was. Uh, Studying accounting and finance at Abilene Christian. My brother comes home from whatever he was doing that day and says, hey, I got a friend with a country band. You need a meeting. They need a sound guy. Like, well, I'm studying accounting and finance. It's not sound. (laughs) But a friend of mine had a DJ rig that we put together. He goes, but you know how to put sound systems together. You could do that. I was like, "Uh, not really what I do, but hey, it's a country band. I'll meet him. Ended up going to work for him as his sound guy. Uh, took the uh, you know the sound reinforcement book mm-hmm. not the Yamaha one but the other one yeah mm-hmm. I bought that and started touring and that's wow. that's how I got into the industry and uh, spent the short version of the story is I spent 15 years touring and uh, towards the end of my touring career we started uh, Epicenter Productions as a plan to get off the road so I could be around family and uh, that was be nine years ago and next October at some point, when you look back at that first year, how soon after that first year do you look back and go like, oh my God, I didn't know what I was doing? Yeah, what? why am I doing this? There's a lot of that. It was fun. You know, it was, uh, he was a young, at that point, a young Texas country artist, and it was fun to go out and be in places and do shows with other bands. And, you know, it was the thing that gets everybody into the business, you know, and hoping that I didn't screw up so bad that I didn't have my gig the next day. But he wouldn't have known any better because he didn't know any better anyway. Uh, but, yeah, there was a lot of, well, when I get out, when I finish college, I'll quit this and, you know, go on about my business, and I'll have some fun stories for my kids. And uh, it uh, obviously just never ended. You know, my mom up till five years in uh, thought it was a phase I was going through. She's like, when are you going to get a real job? And I'm, I, I still don't call this a real job, but, you know, at some point you realize, you know, this is actually a career. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was the year I made more money than my sister had been teaching for a couple decades at that point that I was like, I make more money than a teacher. So at least that's a living. You know, it's not what I thought I'd be making at that age, but it's a, it was legit, you know, and mm-hmm. I was learning a lot about what we did and, um, and just going from there. And truly learning it, you know, trial by fire. You know, how do you mix on a big PA? Well, same same way you do on a small PA, just louder. <laughs> you know, you know what do you what do you do when there's this many channels? Well, you reach further for knobs, you know, and stuff like that. But uh, and just lucked out to be given opportunities to grow within the industry as I went. Yeah, inputs go to outputs. Mm, exactly. <laughs> doesn't matter if you're doesn't matter if you're on this little console here, if you're on a. It was, the, it was the first big Midas console I ever did. We were opening for Sleep at the Wheel with the guy I was with. And the Sleep at the Wheel's engineer was like 6'5". And his console was flipped on like 16 space racks. 
and I couldn't even see the top row. We're in a dark bar, so I can't read it. And I literally flipped a case behind it so I could stand up and lean over the console to, to see because we're doing a throwing go in the middle of a bar while it's open. And I can't read whether it's the pan or the gain at the top on this console. Wow. But, and it's just, it's literally, it's, you know, it all goes the same place. Everything tracks to the right and hoping you can turn it up before they need it turned up and, and go. That's funny. Sleep at the wheel always comes up. Uh, if you're doing in this business in Texas, they come up a lot. I think a little bit before the pandemic, we uh, worked with some of their engineers with a D-Live rig mm-hmm. uh, that they, they purchased. So it's actually really funny because every uh, so many conversations come back to them one way or another. Well, Ray Benson's such a, I mean, he's a legend to begin with, yeah. but he's got his hands in so much of the music mm-hmm. around here. I mean, he's got a great studio. I heard Bismo closed. I don't know if it moved or closed, but he had a great studio, whether it was, you know, still there or not. Well, he has that and show that's on local, all the local the affiliates, that Texas, Texas music, Texas scene. music scene thing. No. Yeah, you know, he definitely does a lot of stuff. But uh, but yeah, I feel like you know, if you're in Texas, you're gonna you're gonna cross paths with him at some time. Right. You're gonna cross paths with Willie's family yeah. at mm-hmm. some point, whether you work with them for them or just are friends with them. You don't even have um, to be doing country. No, I've learned. Um, no. It will cross over at some point to something else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's there, there's a handful of people like that in this industry, you know, full on. That's just yeah. at some point everybody's career kind of crosses these people's mm-hmm. paths. And although I can't come up with anybody else right now, there's those stories that it's it's always like that. You know, seven degrees of separation. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's always somebody, and it's usually closer than that. Yeah, like, guarantee if we sit here and start dropping names. Me and Wessel have known somebody completely random that there's no reason we should both know yeah yeah it's it's weird that this scene is weird i mean it's that and it's kind of that way when uh we had conversations with with somebody else in the industry but this this always comes up that on the touring side especially it seems like even as long as it's been since i've been out there it's still the same 50 dudes Mm -hmm. you know like it's always those same guys once you get past a certain level it's the same dudes Mm -hmm. so that that community gets really really tight you Mm -hmm. know you're out there and you run across you know this guy who knows this guy who you run into later on and you start talking and it just becomes this thing it's it's been like that forever and the the road crew is just it's such a family the touring Mm -hmm. guys that once you know somebody that somebody else knew then all of a sudden your family too, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's you've got each other's backs, and you're gonna make sure everybody's taken care of if they're in your town and they need something, they know they can call you. It's a cool, it's a cool family. Even though I, most of them you probably wouldn't want to take to Thanksgiving, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, different kind of family. But there's, <laughs> it's all that, you know. And it's, it's like I don't know if, are you on Bobnet? You know, what Bobnet is. I used to be. Um, so Bobnet's a started out as an email list for touring. A-level touring guys, and then it turned into a Facebook group for A-level touring guys, and um, now it's turned into, um, it's a group, but you, it's a membership group, and it's it's cool what it does, but it gives you a community within this, this BobNet community. I can post on it like my I did at one point, Aguilar Amp going down, who has a contact, somebody I can talk to, and the next thing I knew, I was talking to Mr. Aguilar. Oh, well. And, yeah. um, but it's all, that's all family. You know, and it's, you know, I'm broken down in Memphis. Can somebody help? And like 15 people chime in. Like, I'm coming through from Nashville or I'm in Memphis. What do you need? Um, you know, it's, it's with no work, it's, it's turned to, to a little bit different conversation than it was when everybody was working. Um, but it's, it's still that same family. And mm-hmm. I kind of, 
look to Bobnet as like that was my old road family when I was touring, and I still still here for them and yeah. still All talk I to a lot is of the them. Email group. Yeah, the email group is great. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You said that we're not working because we had a conversation with somebody recently, Wes and I, that they touched on that how the community mm-hmm. uh, something beautiful happened because people weren't working. They started talking more and and sharing secrets mm-hmm. and, and welcoming new uh, people and and just sharing those secrets with the younger generations and stuff like that. It, yeah. it was really cool to see because um, you. At that point, you have a bunch of sound people not touring, just sitting at home so, bored. So. Yeah, and I'm, I made the point that the, what he was talking about is basically I made the point that it seems like when I was coming up, the everybody would, was happy to share with you to a certain point, but they all had their secret sauce that they yeah. weren't willing to let go of because that means you know how to do their job and you, they, you might take their job. Like, that was mm-hmm. a thing. But now the pandemic, everybody came out and in force said, I'm going to do a YouTube video and I'm going to explain exactly what I'm doing. And everybody, we all learned from each other and it became this bigger thing that was super cool, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're all in the same boat thing. You know, it, it takes the... One guy that's been on one tour, he's on the same level now than the guy that's been touring since 76. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, nobody's touring right now. You know, where, you know, a lot of a lot of them have pivoted and they're doing other things. Some of them are, you know, have come to work for install companies, um, you know. But some of them are just, they don't, there's nothing to do. I mean, it's not that, I, I felt like, you know, when this started, I sat down with some of our guys and I was like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to do everything we can to take care of you during this time. But we don't know if this is going to be six months, if it's going to be a month and a half, if it's going to be two years, if this is the end of it. Mm-hmm. But we're going to do what we can to, to keep you okay as long as we possibly can. But, um, wow, I just blanked on what I was going to. It was very, <laughs> I, was, I was on my way, right? That beer is good. <laughs> yeah. I was on my way, and then I, I lost it. Um, yeah, what was I saying? Uh, you were talking about the the pandemic and the guys changing and I gotta you know. I gotta quit responding <laughs> to email at the same time I'm talking. Right, I guess. right. I think we're talking about the, uh, the, the, oh, the that need of communication and connecting with other people in the, the guys that were on the road the forever ever the same as the guys that were there that have only done one tour kind of thing and everybody pulling together and being in the same boat. Yeah, I've completely lost where I was going, but that yeah. was a good point. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. that was a good point. Sweet. Excellent. More beer. I'm take um, notes. So uh, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk a little bit about we talked about where you started, but mm-hmm. let's let, where did you go after the the country artist? Like, where did you kind of? Well, what, what happened to that country artist? I just want to know because he picked up a guy that had no idea how to run sound, and, and so I I mixed the very first show for this guy. Okay, uh, became his. I'd say his really full first full-time manager, his first full-time booking agent, um, his tour manager, I ran sound, I did merch. And as we moved on, we hired a merch guy. We, we ended up hiring him a booking agent that brought a manager along and just kind of from square one. I mean, he had, he'd been doing things before he wouldn't have had a band. Right. But I, from square one and, uh, the, uh, I won't go into details cause it's not worth rehashing, but we had a falling out. Right. Uh, his name's Aaron Watson. Right. He's one of the biggest. In that Texas was Aaron Watson. It's Aaron Watson. Wow. So and it's, it's that's cool a whole new see. layer right there. It's well, that, that was going to be my question. Be like, <laughs> what do you do to this guy? Do, do you do something good and he went somewhere big, or did he stay there because he got a guy that didn't know how to no, do he, sound? At the time. He, uh, yeah, he, his career went to crap because he didn't have a good sound guy. Just that first show sounded like crap. Because that's, that yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, that's, that's what happened. You have a bad yeah, we were going to sign him, but it, the guitar was a little low in the mix. Yeah. You know? hey, that's who I blame my lack of success in music till this day. Because you're a bad guys. sound guy? Oh. Yeah, just sound guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely my downfall. No, uh, 
we uh, we went a long way together, and his his career was on a good trajectory, and we just started not seeing eye to eye, um, and uh, I got a different offer, good. and uh, moved on, and moved to another Texas country act with that at the time was slightly higher, and you know um, I became his monitor guy and kind of production manager, although I never really had a title, uh, head of security backup bus driver you know whatever it's, it's how it is on small tours yeah how it works um and then kind of hit the what i call the glass ceiling in his organization and where i didn't want to take over for his tour manager as he was happy with where he was he was a great sound engineer um and but i was looking for more and got an offer to move to nashville and work for a sony artist okay. and um i don't know exactly how everything went down there i don't it never really laid out all that cleanly but uh, long story short, lasted about three months. Um, Ooh, you I was moved? with them. Um, they ended up firing me. The only time I've ever been fired. But wow. there was um, there was some headbutting going on. They Nashville, the Nashville country music business understands Nashville country music business, and that's where they tell radio what to play. In my opinion, you know, disclaimer, they tell radio what to play, and they they put these tours together, and you know, you have a single because that's usually what you get as a single deal. Um, and then if it breaks, you go on a tour and then the next year, hopefully you've had a couple more singles that have done well and you get, you move up a slot in that tour. And then eventually you become a Kenny Chesney or Tim McGraw or, uh, Taylor Swift, if they're going to lose you and, uh, Nashville, that is. Um, and then you work your way up and then to get your own tour. I was working with a guy that was an incredible artist, uh, and still one of my favorite country voices. Um, but he didn't fit that mold and they didn't get that. And. You know, they hired me to run things well, and I wanted to tell them how I thought it should be run, and they didn't agree with me, you know. And uh, they just uh, they thought I would be better better somewhere off, better off somewhere else. And uh, I didn't completely disagree. So it seems the like world is, is a very well-oiled machine yeah, that works in, in one particular way. It, I mean, it, it didn't work for Willie. Well, yeah, right, well, that, that's, that's, right. that's what yeah. I was about to say. The world <laughs> is littered with great songwriters who bombed out of Nashville. Yeah. I mean, Steve Earle, Willie Nelson. I mean, I, you can name tons of guys that are like, I'm going to Nashville. And then Nashville's like, no. And they go, screw you. I'm going to do my own thing. And they're amazing. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's, it's the same city that let Chris Stapleton live there for how many years before yeah, yeah. the Grammys and, uh, figured out who he was. Yeah. You know, And now he's the biggest thing. And music, you know, one of the biggest things in music, yeah. and uh, you know, nobody turns him off. He did an album with Justin Timberlake. You know, yeah. it's it, it's his crazy, rock but band. That what what is it, Brothers something Brothers? That that rock band that he did is amazing. Uh, Can't remember, remember the name. Of usually guys. use him and Sturgill when people go. I don't yeah. like country. I'm like, yeah. dude, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait a Sturgill second. Simpson. Man. Yeah, that dude's killer. Well, it's, it's um, there's good music in Nashville. There's good music it's, anywhere. It's not necessarily yeah. coming right. out on the Nashville Nashville records. Radio. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and on and radio, you know. I was on tour with a with a band called Big Hit Ton the Monsters, and um, the drummer was a music fan, and we would stay up late and play music. And so he'd play me a few songs he liked, I'd play him a few songs he liked, I liked, and um, I don't remember what he was playing, but I was playing stuff like Walt Wilkins and mm-hmm. Bonnie Bishop and some of the, like the the songwriters that have good soulful voices. This is what I was into at the time, and and um, he's like, "Did you, do you not like country music?" And I was like, "This is country music to me." <laughs> He said, well, he said, I actually dig country music. He said, country's doing pop better than pop ever did. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I never thought of it that way. That's because, a valid point. I mean, where I'll listen to Michael Jackson, the king of pop, you know, mm-hmm. and some of the pop music, but that's just not my go-to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially at that point in my life, that wasn't my go-to. And the, um, 
but that makes sense. It's you know, it's, it's pop music. That's how Taylor Swift mm-hmm. started in Nashville. Yeah. You know, and yeah. arguably the queen of pop mm-hmm. at this point. You know, so it's uh, it was interesting to see kind of get chewed up and spit out, as many artists do in in Nashville, just because they have their mold, and when you don't fit on of it, and eventually that artist got kind of spit out for the same reason. Mm-hmm. I, I always um, wonder with that town because I remember first time I went there. I used to go there quite a bit for work, and I was. Same thing. I came in expecting one thing mm-hmm. based on what I heard on country radio, yeah. and then realized walking through a bar, some sweaty bar, and it's amazing show, yeah. and the singers hanging from the from the pipes yeah. on the ceiling. I'm like, dude, what is happening? Where, and this you guy realize the national scene? there is a scene there yeah. that yeah. it's completely well, independent you, of what's happening you expect, in the industry. You expect the stockyards with rhinestones when you go to Nashville. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, there's a few old country guys, and then the new pop country people, and yeah. and that's not what it is when you're there. You know, you can find that if you want to go down to Tootsie's or whatever mm-hmm. and listen to the the wannabe country pop acts, or you can go find real music. I mean, there's what most uh, there's a huge portion of the music scene that uh, that's out of there now. There was a guy I saw years ago, Mitch. Uh, Hedberg? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Man, what oh, no, that's a different dude. <laughs> I'm going to find out. Um, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like at a summer NAMM show. So it was like he ha- he has a residency. And the place was bumping. He's bass player. Uh, used to play with Chaka Khan or something like that. And it was just, it was country, but it was funk. It was a horn section. And just completely falling in love with, with the type of music you see there. Yeah. Um, and, and like you say, you don't hear that on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you 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 drop Big Head Todd the Monsters like oh this band that no one's ever heard of called Big Head Todd the Monsters which is obviously <laughs> I just went what? Yeah. So you apparently have worked with everyone, right? That's kind of the deal. That, that's how it is, right? Everybody works for everybody. Right. When you're touring, you're just kind of out there and you pick up whichever band walks by next. Right. So um, I know, but like, like when you got out of the the country side of things and started getting more towards the, the I, I guess the, the uh, another else. side of it, yeah, everything <laughs> else, right? Exactly. There's country it's kinda, and there's everything else. Yeah, kind of. Where'd you go from there? Um, well, after the the gig in Nashville ended, um, it was in September. Uh, it was the end of a touring season. Like the 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 winter tours were out. And, you know, it's I'm sitting there trying to make a decision, you know, not making tons of money at the time, thinking, I have about three weeks worth of money, and maybe I'll have gas money to get home if I don't find anything in the next three weeks. So I just started going to everybody I knew, asking for work. And um, a guy named Sean Murray used to be the tour manager and production manager for Pat Green when he was kind of his national heyday. Mm-hmm. And they were doing a show there in Nashville. And I was like, I'm going to go see if Sean needs somebody to roll cables on tour, like push cases or whatever. I just... I need work to get through the winter and then I can figure it out next spring. And um, I walked up to the to the show and Sean's talking to a, a lady and I told him the story after the fact, but um, he walked up to the lady and he's one of those guys, he's always busy. You know, nicest guy in the world to do anything for you, but you wouldn't know it if you don't pay attention that he's actually done things for you. Um, just because he's, when he's working, he's in a hurry. He's got to get, he got a lot going on. Well, he said, uh, he sees me walk up and he turns late, goes, this is who you need to talk to. Zach can take care of anything you need. And walks off, and I'm like, well, I don't even have tickets to the show. <laughs> like, at least give me a pass, you know. But he walks off. I start talking to the lady, and she runs a um, or works for a merchandising company, and uh, she needs somebody to help. The Orange County Choppers was doing their world tour, and they were coming into Nashville the next week, and she was looking for merch people. She's like, can you sell T-shirts? And I was like, yeah, I can sell T-shirts. 
And uh, she said, well, can you, can you like count t-shirts and be accountable for money? And I'm like, well, I studied accounting and finance. I think I can handle some t-shirts and cash. So ended up doing that for her. And then like the next Monday, we finished the loadout late Sunday night. She calls me Monday and goes, can you tour? It's like, that's what I do. And she goes, well, what do you do on tour? And I was like, what do you need? <laughs> I, I need a job. That's, that's what I do on tour. I need a job. What do you got? She said, well, I, I need a, I'm a merchandising company and we got a merch tour going out. It's a new client. We just need somebody to go take care of them. Tour starts in five days in San Diego. So I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I can drive to San Diego in five days and whatever it is, it'll be money at least to get me to San Diego and then home. And uh, she said, cool, we'll come in tomorrow and we'll do some paperwork. I hang up the phone and I'm sitting there and I'm like, cool, I got a gig. How am I getting to San Diego? Who's this with? <laughs> and realize I didn't even ask. Like it was a gig because that's for, for road guys. That's the, I mean, there is some, uh, who is it to it, yeah. but usually it's, you know, when you need work, it's work, you know? Um, and I called her back and said, who is this? She said, it's a Ziggy Marley. So I sit there for a second. I grew up in West Texas and, and then Dallas and not, not real big on anything but country music at the time. And I'm like, I guess that's related to Bob. And she goes, yeah, it's Bob's son. I was like, cool. I'll do some research while I'm driving. Anyway, I end up, I'm, I have to drive to Texas because when I moved to Nashville three months ago, I took my summer clothes. So I, I drove to Texas to pick up my clothes here that were in storage and then fly out of here to, uh, to San Diego to start the tour and realized who Ziggy was and started kind of understanding the, the level of what reggae is. Um, it's like it's like country music from somewhere else. It's yeah, it's just another country's music. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, it's another, another country's, country's music. music. <laughs> um, but it's 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 more than that. Oh, you yeah. know, there's they they call it the Church of Hank Williams, mm -hmm. but there's not actually a Church of Hank Williams, but there may actually be a Church of Bob Marley. Yeah. You know, he's he's mm -hmm. considered a prophet to many for mm -hmm. in Rastafarian. And um and so I went I went out there, I flew to San Diego, met them. They were in the kind of in the middle, just starting another Lewis leg of a world tour. And uh here comes this white boy from Texas, sitting on the curb when the bus shows up, and all these Rastas pile out. And then I'm there and I help them during the day, which is normal to have people there. And then at the end of the day, I go to get on the bus and I get these looks like, who are you? I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a long tour. <laughs> and um, luckily the tour manager obviously knew who I was and introduced me and kind of broke the ice for me, but you know, just kind of went in from, no no inclination of what that even world is. I, I don't even know at that point if I'd been to L.A. to, you know, on tour with, you know, artists. We had um, Ziggy and a couple of guys. Uh, several of the guys were from Jamaica, um, at least originally. Maybe not live there now. We had a keyboard player from Belize, a guitar player from Japan, a uh, uh, percussionist from Puerto Rico. Uh, I used to, you know, I was now from being from Texas and traveling a little bit to... Now I'm traveling with the world, you know, and uh, and did merch for the first tour with him, and it was uh, it was an interesting chain of events that, like, how did I get from there to here? To a different smell than country. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> in a lot of different ways. Yeah, the um, but it was uh, it was a it was a crazy step um, from you know going to school at Abilene Christian, mm -hmm. you know, to you know. Seven short years later, I'm in Nashville, and then now I'm on tour with Ziggy Marley. Yeah, my parents had no clue who it was. Uh, you know, most of my friends kind of knew who it was. I mean, if you went through college, you you know who Bob was at least. Yeah. 
Um, at least you had one face that yeah. you could interact at yeah. some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bob's music. Yeah. And uh, but that uh, you know that turned into the next seven years of my career, uh, on and off. The um, so the I hate to keep saying the short version of the story is the um, the tour manager that was on that tour wasn't available for the next tour and I. When uh, they called me about it, and I said, well, who's tour managing? They want me to do merch again. Uh, they're just like, well, Steve's not available. And I was like, well, you know, I'm actually a tour manager. I'm not a merch guy. I just can do merch because I understand it. <laughs> I know how to run a business. And uh, they're like, oh, okay, do you want to tour manage? And then I became the tour manager. Uh, later on in my time with him, the, um, some stuff happened, and they needed a production manager, so I took over both both positions. But... Um, That's a big jump from merch to tour manager, you know. Well, it was a, it was a big jump from tour manager down to merch. True. <laughs> it's, I guess that's it's, a better way to look and, at it. And yeah. depending on the the tour, I mean, you know, you look at when I was you go from my Aaron Watson days to tour managing Ziggy. I made more money at night, personally and for the artist, doing merch for Ziggy than at the time I was with Aaron that we made in a month on tour. Yeah. You know, so you know, you're talking merchandising. I, I guess I'm. Disclaimering, not putting down merch guys because that's who really keeps the bus moving. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, that um, that is absolutely true. It's the only position on the tour that's not an expense. Mm-hmm. You know, some expenses you can't avoid. You have to have somebody mixing sound. You right. know, somebody somebody has to turn the lights on. But the merch guy actually puts money on the bus every night. Yeah. Um, so many bands touring. That's all the money that they make yeah. is off of their merch. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, in millions a year. Yeah, when you wouldn't think that artist would be making millions a year, it's it's crazy yeah. what they can make on it. But it was, um, you know, the responsibilities changed, but the the end game kind of didn't for me. It's all right. about you know representing the artist as they would want to be represented, you know, and, and selling T-shirts. I, I tried to te- you know with artists who were maybe rougher, I wouldn't be as worried about being rougher to their people who are taking too long to pick out a shirt. But people, artists who are respectful, like Ziggy was, I always try to be respectful to. You know everybody, and and that was as a tour manager, as a merch guy, or you know, whatever I was doing for him at the time. So you worked for Ziggy for seven years. It was on and off for seven years. Wow. It was, um, you know, when if they didn't announce their tour, um, the uh, you know, and I got a call, I would take it. So there was some some interim guys. I actually quit twice before I retired from touring, um, just for differences of opinion or didn't like how some things were done or whatever. Didn't always see eye to eye. Um, and it's it's the same problem I had in Nashville. Didn't see eye to eye with management. It's yeah. time for me to leave. You know, I did that a couple of times. But me and Ziggy got got on pretty well. And me with the band, the band were we were close and still are. Um, you know, they still call me um, either to get my opinion on things or to see if you know, hey, can you? We're only doing one offs this year. Are you interested? <laughs> and it, oh, it's of course yes. Yeah. Um, I was sad they called me to do Lollapalooza South America or Brazil, I think it is, uh, oh, or Peru. Awesome. A couple years ago and I was like yes I'm in like I'll, I'll go and then they ended up adding like two weeks worth of shows and I was like that's right over festival season I, can, I can't go wow. but um, the, how much uh, is what they how much is spirituality how much does spirituality drive what they do because you mentioned Rastafarian and yeah. that's 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 it's, what you gather every time I've seen one of the Marley brothers are doing or any reggae band there's yeah. True reggae band, Rastafarian yeah. reggae yeah, they, band. There's, it's very important how they. There's, um, uh, yeah. I don't want to insult any part of the reggae community, mm-hmm. but there's, there's the ones that, like you say, there's the ones that are true. I didn't mean and, to say real, but you, you, 
then like there's the <laughs> then, then there's the, the this is gonna sound bad uh, but there's the white guys with dreads that we, I call them trustafarians because usually they have dad somewhere that's disappointed with money um, <laughs> trustafarians I was gonna say so called reggae but you nailed it uh, but, I was but, gonna say I've played a couple of reggae songs so there you go I mean that's kind of that level dreads. of thing yeah. Yeah, yeah you know I had dreads at one point so there you go <laughs> You know, yeah, that that level of of reggae band. <laughs> but but for Ziggy, it was a it was a ministry. Yeah, it was uh, it was, and it's not specifically he's not there to his song is I'm not here to condemn, I'm not here to convert. You know, that's love is my religion. It's he, he's there to to preach love and to show love, and his music is about that. Where you know the the early Whalers and Peter Tosh and all that is there was rebel to it. Mm-hmm. You know, get up, stand up. Um, and um, legalize it, of course. But uh, but there's there's the rebel side of that music, and where I I don't think I really ever got into the full on rebel side of, mm-hmm. of reggae because you know I wasn't part of what was going on in Jamaica and, and what was going on in with that community in the United States during that era. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm a white boy from Texas. I didn't I didn't have some of that struggle. The um, but the love I did I did get. You know, and it was it was twenty four seven for him. You know, it was when we do South America on days off, we would go visit orphanages and do oh, things wow. positive. And he was wow. trying. If if somebody asked him to do something like if you know if we had a you know sure endorsement or something, and and they wanted him to become sign autographs at Guitar Center, he wasn't all that interested. But if you know somebody called from the from the local um, what is the it music cares group or mm-hmm. something other the Grammys group or somebody that it's a organization that was benefiting especially children we would go when he could you know we would we would do meet and greets for people who who needed to feel like somebody cared and uh, it it made what I did with him rewarding it was a lot of work mm-hmm. you know you you go to South America and, and South America was very I grew um, up there. <laughs> what, what, what country? Uh, Venezuela. Okay. Yeah. We skipped, We didn't do Venezuela. On the, the either tour I did with. If you, I'm thinking the years you are, it it was really rough. To yeah. Go there. Well, we also Still skipped is. Colombia. So, there you go. Um, we did. I did one year down there with. Uh, we were subduction support for Shakira. Okay. Um, so stadiums, and then the time before we did kind of a club and festival tour, but we skipped. Uh, we didn't do Venezuela. We didn't do the countries that we had to worry about getting out of. Mm-hmm. Um, but the. Um, you know, we'd do with on the, the Shakira tour. We'd do a uh, a stadium show, usually fly in that morning, sound check, eat dinner, do our show, go to the hotel. Usually, the crew would get there before we had to leave for the airport, uh, fly somewhere else, do a sound check, and then go sleep. We were in on forty eight hour days. In those the few days off that we would have, there would be something planned for us because he wanted to do something substantial. And where you don't want to get out of bed when you've only been in bed for four hours the last two days. When you got there, it was rewarding enough. You know, it's um, in Brazil, it's everything's backwards. The lower land is the city, mm-hmm. and the higher land's the ghetto. Well, in uh, Florinopolis, we went as high as you could go with a group, and we were the only. We ended up going. We had a police escort, and there were there were um, local political leaders with us, and it was the first time anybody. Any police had ever been up there, and it was the first time any political people had been up there to see what was going on, and it was to help one of the local guys who organized the show wanted to benefit, um, help benefit this community center they had built for themselves up there. But it was like there's no poverty in the United States. 
I mean, you saw that in Venezuela. It's we don't understand what it is. Like there, there's people in bad situations here, and um, there there are poor people, and there's people who don't know where their next meal's coming from. But there are things to get those meals from. Mm-hmm. In Argentina, I sat in my hotel room the first night there. It was trash night, and I watched the people come down out of the hills and clean the, every bit of food out of the trash because that's what they were eating for the next week. I remember being a kid and watching MTV and interviews with bands that will come from the U.S. And Caracas is very similar to that mm-hmm. in terms of a lot of, at some point where the oil explosion happened, mm-hmm. agriculture was pushed to the side. So people from the country ended up moving to the city because that's the only way they could hope to get a job. So yeah. there's a lot of, all the slums are the highlands like yeah. that. Save from, there's some areas where our communities are more in the hills, but for the most part, all the slums are surrounding and a mm-hmm. lot of musicians if they arrive that night in particular oh it looks beautiful these lights and then reality sinks in right after when they go oh this is not san francisco it's just break homes and metal roofs and, yeah and, yeah central uh, and south america definitely you know when you go to those those countries as an American, as a as a privileged white male, you know, yeah. like this is definitely it. Definitely opens your eyes a little bit to to the rest of the world. You but know? you know what? Even growing there, if you don't live there, there's a lot that you don't even know because mm-hmm. um, they're very. I've actually recently I've been learning some stuff, and certain communities are very autonomous, where the gang man, the the. The top gangster there becomes kind of the government there, mm-hmm. and they have really safe communities because it's well understood <laughs> that you don't mess with anybody within that. Yeah. Right. They get out and they do all their quote unquote business outside. Yeah. Um, but it's not touching inside that, right. those certain neighborhoods. You know, well, it's like uh, back when the two drug lords ran the border. Exactly. It was safe. You could go down exactly. to yeah. You go down to Matamoros and, yeah. and buy a cheap mm-hmm. prescription. You could go to Acuna and hit the Corona Bar. You could go to um, Tijuana. <laughs> you go to T- you go to Tijuana yeah. and, and watch the donkey show, like Wes was telling me about. But the um, that's what we were going to call this podcast originally. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> donkey show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thought that was between us, man. Yeah. But the. Um, <clears throat> But you know, like you say, now it's it's deregulated as we call it, and it's not safe for anybody. Yeah. But the um, but with what was what's going on there, and, and people not caring, you know, I, I think there's we've got problems in this country, but you know, a majority of us care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not judging any country that has the slums that they have, mm-hmm. but it's it's true poverty there. Mm-hmm. And to go into those areas into orphanages who have nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just showing up and seeing what that meant, uh, and working for an artist who, who cared enough to do that and take his time out. And it, and he's not it, doing it for a photo op. It, it wasn't a photo yeah. op. No, no press was invited. Um, I don't, I don't even think I have some pictures of it. Um, a couple of the band members went to have pictures of it. I don't think we even shared it on his social media. It wasn't for that because in his heart, that's what he's supposed mm-hmm. to do. And uh, to work for somebody like that versus other people I've worked for. And other people I've seen and met is um, it, it gives you more of a more of, um, it makes you feel better about being gone. I'll put it that way. You know, I give up. It's it's this whole industry as a whole. You know, the no matter if you're a, a stagehand that just pushes cases, if you're you know the first guy in and you're hanging all the motors, if if you're the audio guy, we give up our lives for experiences for other people's families and friends and families. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, to be able to do that and see what the difference you're making on a tour like that to where, you know, when I was out with Ziggy, I didn't get to talk to my family hardly at all because I was working, especially internationally. I never knew what time it was. Um, I kept my computer on our home clock. That way, if I was sitting at my computer and had time to call, I'd actually know if, like, am I going to wake them up or (laughs) are they just getting up, you know, because I I couldn't keep up with what city I was in, much less what time zone I was in. But, you know, you, you give that up. And to be able to look back and see that, you're making a difference in somebody's life. You're not going to make a difference in everybody's life, but somebody's life. It, it, it helped me deal with not being here for that. You know, if, if I was with one of the selfish rock stars, it goes from jet to limo to show to limo to jet to ho- five-star hotel and never looks out the door at anybody and gives a hoot about what's going on around him, except for how much money he's going to his bank. I, I couldn't have done it, you know. You know, we, <clears throat> we've talked on this show several times about you know the the sound guy bringing experience to people you know like like the and and when i say sound guy i mean everybody across the board all the the crew and and all that because that's you're all part of even the front of house guy well yeah even the front of house guy (laughs) i have a known thing about you know the monitor guy actually rules the world but anyway (laughs) uh so uh (laughs) small bias but um but yeah that's the thing like we as there was some point in all of our uh, growing up where there was something we saw a show that impacted us in a way where it clicked something in our brain that's like i want to be able to do that for other people and when we do a show every time you do a show in the back of your head there should be at least a something in your head saying somebody out in that show they're going to remember this forever this is their greatest moment they had the best time doing this and we are directly responsible for making that happen and that's magic man i mean that's why we do this well you never know is is this going to be the last time that you have to hang out with that friend Mm -hmm. is this going to be the the first time you got to hang out with that girl Mm -hmm. um is this just going to be the year that everything was complete yeah and uh, that means and a the, lot. And the money too, especially certain countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, international artists come to a country. There's a premium to that. You know? Yeah. I remember being a teenager and saving everything. Like, okay, there's a festival. Which day am I going yeah. to be? So able that to again, that that uh, brings that extra heightened. This and, is a whole thing. And, this is a moment. Yeah. And you, you can know? tell when the artist knows that. Yeah. yeah. And if and the, and that's the thing. You see a lot of artists that you know. And I've worked with guys where, I mean, this is just. It's like, oh God, I got to get off the bus. Like, you know, like uh, I got to do. I got to stage. Like, yeah, and and that's it. You, you gotta the the guys that live out the longest. I think are the ones that actually keep a little bit of that in their heart where they're like they remember like i've said this a million times about dave grohl but to me that guy right now is the dude that is living the dream and he knows it because every time you see him he is so happy to be doing what he is he sits in with one of his Mm -hmm. you know they did that residency on on david letterman for that that last time that they were on there and he's playing with like Roger Waters and you that dude's head was about to fall off he's smiling yeah. so big like he is a teenager every time he gets up there playing in his first mm-hmm. club and he loves that and those are the bands that I love working with yeah. you know the guys that still remember that I've been Not, watching Anderson Pack lately and seeing the same being like yeah he just seems like he loves what Super he's doing right now yeah, yeah. yeah. Not not the tribute act that shows up five minutes before their set and pissed off that they got to be on stage when the show starts yeah yeah. You know, the which we've all done plenty of that. And, and the, these guys, uh, I've worked with a handful of people that just kind of ruined it for those type of people to me, too. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, the, in the inverse of what we're talking about, 
that, you know, if, if you don't enjoy it at, at any level, you know, you're, you're in the wrong business. Mm-hmm. If you can't enjoy getting to entertain as a cover band, or you can't enter, enjoy getting to mix any band in a bar. Yeah, if you're not mixing it, Madison Square Garden or whatever, whatever your ultimate venue would be, there's there's somewhere to go, and, and it's okay to want to get bigger. But if you don't enjoy what you're doing at every level, then it's not worth doing. Yeah, and you're you're it's not. Too it well. it it's, it's, it's too hard. It is. It's no different than punching the clock nine to five at yeah. a miserable job. That yeah, you yeah. Don't like. it's, it's the same thing. It's, yeah. it, it kills me to have people on our shows that are just in a bad mood, and I'm like, dude. You're outside. I mean, I get it's a little bit hot. There's a breeze, though. Like, you get to mix a band that's not that bad. You know, your job is their vacation. You know, they worked 40 hours this week to get to this one point. We worked four hours with a load in to get to this point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's this is what it is. This is the dream. You know, people dream. And it used to be a shirt. I don't know if it was an upstaging shirt or something, but my, my job is your dream or your vacation. You know, and it's it's what it is if you can if you'll live it that way. Yeah, it's not easy. Uh, you know, whether it's local production or touring production, it's it's not an easy job. There's uh, you have to think a lot on your feet. You know, you have to make sure it's safe because, you know, heaven forbid there's an accident on one of your shows and either one of the crew or, or I hate to say worse because I care about the crew too, but or one of the patrons gets hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, there's a lot of responsibility to it, but it's also it's a dream job. Yeah. And there, I don't think it should be downplayed the high demand, right? You're yeah. on the road; it's it's rough. At yeah. some point, it's yeah. gonna get dark. <laughs> you know? well, Twelve people live in the square footage of a one-bedroom apartment. Yeah, and yeah, uh, you're tough. not gonna always get along, and you're not always gonna smell good, mm-hmm. and you're not gonna walk. <laughs> you're never going to go to Detroit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just to pick on that Detroit. is not that is not wrong. But, uh, <laughs> that is not wrong. But the um, but at the end of the day, it's still the dream. Yeah. I, had a, I had an experience in Detroit that a friend told me, you're there? I was doing some event at a hotel. And he goes like, I got a friend that's going to pick you up. <laughs> DJ. I'm like, cool. Picks me up. And we go to this uh, Irish pub. It's the only time I've gone through a metal detector to go inside a pub. Ooh. Yes. Irish Detroit. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Irish in name only yeah. outside. And I sat in and I realized I'm in a table with a bunch of old school techno DJs. From like the techno era of Detroit, it was amazing. I just sat there and took all this yeah. information, but they were laughing at me because it was like, "Yeah, I wasn't gonna tell you that guy that picked me up." He said, "I wasn't gonna tell you this a metal detector. I just like bringing people here." So they go, "Why is this happening? <laughs> yeah. It's in Detroit, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's Detroit, man. It's a metal detector. What do you expect?" My my last time in Detroit, we were leaving. We played a nightclub above a bowling alley. Um, there's a couple of them, I think, in this country, but uh, this was the one in Detroit. It was a little, it was a side project for uh, Kip Malone from TV on the radio. All right. That's who I had out. And we play this show, and we're getting in the van afterwards. So you already, I said van, so you already know it's it's one of those tours. Mm-hmm. That I loved Kip. He was a good dude, and I, I, I like what he does. But this was one of those tours. And uh, we get in the van, and the last person's finished a cigarette or something, and all of a sudden we hear gunshots start blaring. I'm like, all right, we're gone. <laughs> And we went to whatever the next town was and got a hotel. <laughs> I was like, we're not staying here overnight. We came in the night before and we stayed for some reason. You know, there's the, if you tour, there's the hotels that the bands stay at, you know. And uh, for some reason, my travel agent called me the night before we got there. And then she's like, we're going to change hotels tomorrow. Is that okay? And I was like, it's, that's your world. You tell me where we're going. And so we changed hotels. And uh, there was another band staying at that hotel and their bus got stolen that night. Whoa. 
is just there's so many smashing grabs at that hotel and it's like but that night their bus got stolen i was like hey good call wow that's crazy all right since we're telling stories i don't know why i have to bring this one up i know this is not what we do in this podcast but i was touring with a band playing uh, and we're in baltimore bandmates go to eat i don't feel like eating i stay in the van i'm in the alley behind the venue in baltimore and i'm facetiming my family and a guy pulls in a car, gets out of the car, older car, and he's looking like he's waiting for somebody. And a few people have come through the alley because there's graffiti everywhere, they're taking pictures, and at this point, it's just that guy and me. Yeah. And two women show up wearing nothing but black, and they have ski masks on, <laughs> and they start putting them on, and, and they lift them up again. Like, they're about to do something with the masks, and I'm like, I'm talking to my son, and I'm like, buddy, I gotta go, but let me show you. No, no, I gotta go. Yeah. I, I'll call you in a little bit. I hang up and I'm thinking like, do I hide? Do I leave before they do something? Yeah. So I'm not a witness to anything. And another guy shows up and he looks, he has just like a stern face. He's just like, he's just looking around and directing a couple of things, pointing things. And he looks at me, he walks my way and the van is, the window's down. I'm like, all right, here we go. And he gets really close. He goes like, excuse me, we're just doing a video right now. So you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then the camera crucial. It was like oh a local hip hop. Long story short, he, they needed that. Uh, uh, I end up like talking to them for a little bit. So I have him email me the track. So I'm actually playing <laughs> the song from the van. So oh. he can lip sync to it on the video. <laughs> That's <laughs> crazy. Wow. Yeah. But it was a few uncomfortable, like 20 yeah. seconds of how do I get out of here without yeah. people? What am I ducking behind? <laughs> yeah. There's a I heard a story about it was um it was a Kimani Marley that was in Shadas. Right. Have you seen that movie? No. It's basically a it's a gang movie, Jamaican gang movie. And uh they're shooting it in Jamaica. And it was a low budget film. It became I think it's kind of a cult classic, but um they're shooting it and there's a scene where they're robbing a uh car dealership. Well, it was low budget, so they couldn't rent the whole car dealership. So they're in the they're at the parts counter doing this robbery scene, and the whole dealership's open. Well, I don't, from the story, it sounds like they didn't even put signs up like "Hey, we're shooting a movie over here, people. Don't worry." Well, they get into the intense part, of guns out, and all of a sudden, two cops that are looking at cars come out and almost shoot the actors. Whoa! Like, Wait, movie, movie, cameras, movie, lights, movie. movie. <laughs> That's crazy. Kind of the same thing. Like, yeah. oh, what am I getting into? Yeah. So you worked for for Ziggy for seven years, on mm. and off. What did you? Was there? Did you move on from there to somebody else, or were you doing things in between there? I was doing, I was doing stuff in between. You know, there was times where I, I didn't do Ziggy's tour for, so I found something else. Um, one of the tours I was on with Ziggy. I think I was telling the story earlier. I was in the when I was doing merch. I sit in the production office because I was a tour manager. So in the bus stops, you get up and work. Well, there's nothing to do if you're slinging cotton until about you know an hour before doors. Mm-hmm. So I'd get up and I'd go to the tour manager's office, and be like, "Ah, right, what do you need?" And uh, one day he gets a call and he goes, "Ah, oh, I'm just talking to a guy." And he says, "I'm not available, but I may have a guy for you." And he turns, and goes, "Hey, you want to do the work tour?" 